God is faithful. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. You have the greatest pastor and his wife. You know that? Praise the Lord. I tell you, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. I thank the Lord for my friendship with Pastor Philip and Miss Kelly. And it's been about, well, almost 19 years now since we've, uh, we've been together. When you first moved into town and we had our first lunch at Ninfa's. You remember, man? Yeah, those were eye-opening days. Yeah. <laughs> we had some good times. We're just talking. Okay. I want to give God the glory for the opportunity to be here today, and thank you for having us. And God has been good to us. Thank you for praying for our church. Our church is uh, 18 years old. We, my wife and I started the church 18 some years ago, a little more than that. And God has blessed the church, and we're giving God the glory that he has enabled us to reach the lost. I like that picture you showed about Bridgeport, Connecticut. Friends, it's reaching the world for Jesus Christ. It's not about right here. It's like he said, it's about everywhere because the Lord has a plan and a purpose for everyone's life. And today I want to speak to you out of Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 28. I want to talk to you about Christians in crisis. I, uh, I feel that uh, this is where God is leading me. So, uh, you know, just, just keep giving God glory, okay? That, you know, there are Christians in crisis. How many know what I'm talking about? When I talk about crisis, you know, Christians do go through crises in their lives. In fact, you might be going through one right now. Let's not deny it. Let's hit it head on. You see, a man of faith doesn't have to deny reality. There are some people who teach that if you have faith, that you have to act like it doesn't exist when there's problems. But let me tell you, true faith doesn't have to lie. True faith doesn't have to deny what is real. True faith faces it head on and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. If you take a look at that verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me, it really means this. I can go through all things because of the one who constantly infuses strength into my life. That's what it means. Friends, we can go through anything because of the one who lives in me. Amen? Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse. What, what verse did I say? I didn't mean 28. I meant 35. Things are going downhill from here. (laughs) I'm in a crisis. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. 
How many would say that's your first clue you're going to make it? You're going to make it. Let us pass over unto the other side. If they only would have heard that. How many times Jesus can say something to you and you don't even hear it? Because we're so wrapped up in our own little world that we really are not hearing what he's saying. Here's what it says. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. That's, that's a lot of water. The, the ship is full. Full. The ship is full. Now, where's Jesus? In a full ship. Notice, he was in, verse 38, the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, laying in water. I'm telling you, the ship was full. It doesn't say the ship was full everywhere except where Jesus was. He was laying in water. Can you imagine sleeping and being at peace, not only in a storm, but in a ship full of water? That's a man who's at peace. (laughs) (laughs) And it says, and they awake him and they say, Master, do you not care that we perish? Now, that sounds familiar. I think I heard that last night. Last night, we talked about Martha saying, don't you care? Now, we know that she had an issue. And these guys' issues are a little bit different. Their, Their problem was they didn't have any faith. All right? Now, it says in verse 39, he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Don't you love this? Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He arose and rebuked the wind. Now notice he rebuked the wind. That's how you know the devil was in this. Because Jesus would never rebuke something his father did. Jesus would never rebuke something his father did. You know, the enemy comes in like a flood. But the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. Always know this. Storms and crises will come in your life. But it's how we handle them that matters. And I think we can gain some insight here out of this little story about Christians in crisis. He arose, rebuked the wind. And he said in verse 40, why are you so, so what? Someone help the boy. Fearful. So we know what they had. They had fear. And then it says, how is it that you have no faith? And they feared. See that next word, feared? That word feared exceedingly is a different fear. The first fear was something completely different than the second fear. The second fear was a reverential awe. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what kind of guy is this? Who is this? What What manner of man is this? That even the wind. And the sea, obey him. Glory to God. I feel that. I feel that this morning. I feel that there is someone in crisis, and guess what? I know it's true because I've many times been in crisis myself. Do you know anybody can handle blessings? But it's hard for Christians sometimes to handle trials and storms and and crises. Oh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I am blessed. I can handle blessing. Bless me. Oh, yes, bless me, Jesus. I can handle blessing. I love blessing. Bless me, baby. But all of a sudden, when the storm starts coming upon me, it's like, hey, 
bad Jesus. And then when he blesses us, good Jesus. <laughs> Christians in crisis. Christians in crisis. There are three things on this story that I want to bring to you. Number one, the cause of my crisis. Number two, the Christ of my crisis. And number three, the consequence of my crisis or the sequel, which means that which follows. Or you could say the conclusions we draw from our crisis. You all with me so far? Let's take a look, number one, at the cause of the crisis. Do you know we find ourselves in crises many times as Christians? But I notice this. It says in verse 35, And the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass to the other side. Who is the one who told these men to get into the ship and go to the other side? The answer is Jesus. So they get in the boat and they go to the other side. At least they attempt to do so. Out of obedience, they get into this mess. What caused this crisis in their life? Well, I'll tell you what caused their crisis was the fact that they were obedient to the Lord. You know, sometimes your crisis comes because you actually did what God told you to do. I have done what God has told me to do, and I got in trouble for it. I have four brothers, Larry, Gary, Terry, Harry, and I'm Jerry. I've told you that a hundred times. I keep saying it because they were so bad, and I was so good. And they always got me in trouble. And you know that's not true. But sometimes as a kid, if you're obedient, or even as a Christian adult, you're obedient. I do that for the kid's sake. You know what the truth is? Sometimes you being obedient will get you in a mess. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. How did I get in this mess? How many know Christ was obedient? He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And friends, because of his obedience and the pain he suffered, you and I are standing here set free by his grace. Hallelujah. That is the truth. But I also thought about that. And I thought, you know, what else? how else do you get in messes? Well, I thought about another way sometimes we get in a mess. It's because somebody else's disobedience. You know, Think about it. Not only was there obedience that got him into it, but other people's disobedience will get you into trouble. How many remember Noah? The Bible says Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Noah was in a mess. He had to build an ark. It took him 120 years to build it. But what was the deal? Everybody else was nuts. Everybody else was disobedient. Everybody else was living their life. What about Sarah? How did Sarah get into the mess that Sarah got in the book of Genesis? Abraham told her, he said, you know, when we go to Egypt, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them you're my sister. And Sarah's like, well, all right. So they do. And what happens to Sarah? Yeah, she gets in trouble. Sometimes you get into a mess because of somebody else's disobedience. Take a look at Joseph. How did Joseph end up in prison after he was sold into Egypt by his brothers? Potiphar's wife accused him of improper behavior and because of her her deal he gets into the slammer and because of joseph's brothers being disobedient joseph gets sold into egypt in the first place how many know that sometimes you get into a mess because somebody else disobeyed god how about joshua and caleb they went to the other side of that jordan river and looked at the land and said we can do it and they came back and the other guy said the 10 spies said we can't do it Guess who suffered for 40 years in the wilderness because of somebody else's stupidity? Joshua and Caleb had to go through 40 years of wilderness wanderings, not because they did something wrong, but because somebody else had disobeyed God. So sometimes you might go through a crisis because of somebody else's disobedience. Sometimes you might go through a crisis, and I found another reason, and that is because we ourselves did it to ourselves. Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. 
Have you ever done it to yourself? Come on, man. You've done it to yourself. The Bible says that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah said, uh-uh, honey, we ain't doing that, lamb. We're going on some other way. And Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. He ends up in a boat going to Tarshish. Just happened to have the right amount for the ticket. Hey, it must be God. Circumstances fell into place. Circumstances should never be a governing factor. They are a factor, but they should never be a deciding factor. So he gets in this boat, goes to Tarshish. How many know what happened in, uh, in, uh, in that boat? A storm came up. Who got himself into the mess? Jonah did. And you know, I want to tell you something. I don't care how you got in this mess. You may have done it yourself. The Bible says that Jonah was thrown overboard. And you all know the rest of the story. He did it to himself. I found another reason why sometimes you go through a crisis. It's because of what Jesus said to Peter. He said, you know what, Peter? I want to tell you something. Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, not that you're not sifted, not that you don't go through the storm, not that you won't go through the crisis. I'm not praying for you that that crisis you never go through. I'm praying that when you go through it, your faith will remain intact and you'll come out better than when you went in. Glory to God. And you see, friend, sometimes the reason you're going through a crisis is because the devil don't like you. It's because the devil wants to sift you as wheat. You know why he wants to do that? Because the day you got saved, you sold your house in the old neighborhood and you got a new one in the new neighborhood. And you're, you're, you're not living in that neighborhood anymore. And the devil's a little bit ticked off at the fact that you have switched sides. And so now he wants to get you. And you know what he tries to do? Sift you as wheat. Woo! But thank God, Jesus says, I've prayed for you. So you can see the reasons why we get into crises once in a while. I see here is because of their obedience. But I notice not just the cause of the crisis, but I notice the Christ of the crisis. Oh, there might be a cause to it, and there is. But oh, never forget, there is the Christ of every crisis. And the Bible says here that he was in the ship. Now, there are three things about Jesus in this crisis. I notice three things. Number one, I notice his presence. Number two, I notice his peace. Number three, I notice his perception. I notice these three things about him. And I want you to notice those three things about Christ in your crisis. Notice where Jesus is. Where is he? Where is he? In your crisis, where is he? He's in your ship. That's where he is. If you're saved by the blood of the lamb, I want to tell you something, sister. He is in your ship. And Jesus in the ship, it's going to be okay. He's in the ship. He's in the ship. You know, it matters where he is in all this. We can't divorce him from our crisis. So many people want to. You know, friends, I'm learning it's me and Jesus. God is not divorced from your experience regardless of how you got in it. Even if you did it to yourself, even if because of someone else's disobedience, even if it's the devil, even if it's your obedience, I don't care how you got in it, it matters Jesus is there. The devil will try to tell you, you got in this yourself. He ain't going to help you. I say no. The Jesus that I serve will help you even though you got into the mess yourself. He can get you out of it. He can get you out of it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says God remembered Noah. Wow! Glory to God. I'm getting excited. God, you see, all these other people are nuts, but the Bible says God remembered Noah. You know, God never forgets his people. He never forgets his people. You know, Jonah, 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 Jonah. He says, I did it. I did it to myself. There he is in that storm in that boat. And they say, hey, how are we getting this mess? And Jonah says, well, I can tell you how we got into it. It's all my fault. He says, and if you throw me overboard, he says, the sea will become calm. This guy's a smart guy. So everybody in this room knows that they threw him overboard, and the sea became calm. And those guys got saved. And Nineveh got saved. So can you picture Jonah getting himself into this mess? And then crying out to Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, no, you got yourself into it. Get yourself out of it. Somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody needs to hear that today. Can you picture Jonah? There he is in the water, and all of a sudden, here comes the whale or whatever it was. Huh? I really don't care what it was. It was a whale or a shark or some big fish that was big enough to swallow that dude whole. And what if you were laying in the water like that, and all of a sudden, here comes this, you know, Moby Dick coming at you. And what are you looking at? You're going, huh. <laughs> I did it to myself. I know I did it to myself. He's going to get me. I know it. And all of a sudden, he opens his mouth. Just opening his mouth creates such a suction. It just sucks you right into it. But notice this. What Jonah thought was going to destroy him was the thing that God had prepared to save his life. Thank you, Jesus. You see, you may not see things the same way God sees things. Even though you got yourself into it, even though you did it to yourself, the thing that you think is going to destroy you, God will use to save your life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Oh, yeah. Joseph was sold into Egypt, got into prison because of Potiphar's wife, and guess what happened? Everybody forgot him there. Even the ba- baker, the butler, and the candlestick maker, they all forgot him there, whatever their names were, right? They forgot him. Hey, remember me? Oh, sure, got it. And he didn't remember him. But yeah, you got to notice one thing. The Bible says, and if you know, you can read this in the book of Genesis, it says, his brothers sold him into Egypt. And then it says, but the Lord was with him. And then it says, Potiphar's wife accused him of impropriety. It says, but the Lord was with him. And then it says, and he was thrown into, into jail. And then it says, and the Lord was with him. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. You see, it doesn't say that the Lord was with him when good things happened. Oh, you notice, you notice, uh, every time something bad happened, that's when he says, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. You know when the Lord is with you? The Lord is with you when it seems like the Lord is not with you. That's when the Lord is with you. When it seems like the Lord is not with you. When everybody says the Lord's forsaken you, when everybody says the Lord is not with you, I'm here to tell you that's when the Lord is with you. In fact, that's when you need to know the Lord is with you. Anybody can handle a blessing, but when the trial comes, you need to know the Lord is with you. Thank you, Jesus. He's with me. Jesus is with me when the storm clouds rise. He's right there by my side when I hear the thunder roll. He holds my hand when I begin to tremble. When the winds of this world are blowing strong, Jesus is with me. I like that part. That's my favorite part. Jesus is with me. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. You're toast. And Jesus says, oh, no. I have prayed for you. 
Oh, friends, you might think that because Jesus is praying for you, you ain't going to go through it. Oh, on contraire, you're going to go through it, Sam. You're going to go through it. You're going to go through it, but you won't lose your faith. Somebody needs to hear that. The Christ of the crisis, he's in, he's in it with you. And notice his peace. Notice his peace. Christ is asleep. He's asleep. I wouldn't be. In fact, these critters, they weren't. What were they doing? Hey! Here's Jesus flat out sleeping. How many would say that's peace that passes all understanding? You don't understand the certain, but you know, there is a peace that you can have on the inside that will determine your behavior on the outside. I need that peace. I need that peace. Notice the disciples had no peace. They had no peace. In fact, they're panicked. You might be panicked today, but I'm here to tell you, Christ being in the ship, there's peace. By this crisis you are in, Jesus is not panicked by it. In this crisis you are in, Jesus is not panicked by it. He's not taken by surprise. He's not sitting there going, oh man, they got me on this one. No, he knows all about it. And guess what his demeanor is? He's at peace. But the disciples are not at peace. Hey, we got a problem. I mean, we say that's a dilemma. Jesus is laying out sleeping. These guys are like, hey, I got a dilemma here. What's the difference? There is a difference. The difference between Jesus and the disciples was one on the inside. In the will of God, Jesus knew he was. And if you know you are in the will of God, then it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside if the right thing is happening on the inside. We try to change the outside. We try to change the outside. Oh, let's cut that thing down. Let's get rid of that thing. God says, don't get rid of it. I allowed it to happen in your life. He might not have caused it, but he allowed it to happen in your life because he wants to show you something. He wants to teach you something. So don't start trying to get rid of everything. We're going to pray ourselves out of this. The storm was there. What are you saying? I'm saying that Christ was at peace. And when we are rightly related to him through the blood of Jesus Christ, we too can be at peace in the midst of our storm. So expect the storm. I don't pray for it to happen. I don't go around and say, oh, give me a storm. Honey, they're going to come enough. They'll come without you want it, honey. They'll come. You just get up in the morning, it'll come. You just stand true to Jesus, it'll come. You just obey Jesus, it'll come. You just keep pastoring this church the way God wants you to, it'll come. So maybe my presence here this weekend is just to let the church know that crises will come, but Christ in the ship will make a difference in the crisis. I notice his perception. Christ is very perceptive in this storm. I want his peace. Also would like this perception that he has. What's the perception? Sensitivity, if you will. I learned something about him. He's sleeping through all of this noise. Storms are not quiet. Thunder, lightning, crashing, waves. He's sleeping. These guys are all shook up. But notice what they do. Hey, Jesus, here it comes. Don't you care that we perish? Now, these guys were genuinely concerned. 
They were afraid for their lives. And you might be afraid for your life. But Jesus is not panicked, as we said. But notice, he hears their cry. He sleeps through all the other noise, but he hears the cry of the man or the woman who calls out in the midst of a storm. He's not listening to all the circumstances. He doesn't pay attention to the noise of your circumstance, but he hears the cry of the humble. He hears the cry of the panic-stricken. He hears the cry of the man or the woman who got himself into a mess. He hears the cry of the man or the woman who knows that without Jesus, he's going down. He hears the cry, and friends, he was oblivious to the other noise but not oblivious to the noise of the human cry oh friends he hears the cry of the heart oh yeah hear me now my friends that's perception we hear the noise of our circumstance and we are oblivious to the cry of the human heart all we hear is what's going on around us and we fail to see or to hear the cry of the boy or the girl or the husband or the wife or the couple or the family who's going down for the third time. Well, Jesus doesn't hear everything else, but he will hear your cry. Oh, that's perception. That's sensitivity. And lastly, the consequences of this particular storm, this crisis, the sequel, the uh, conclusion of the matter. Well, I learned a couple things. Number one, I drew this conclusion. I wrote this down. If Christ is with me, then no demon-inspired storm or crisis can dissolve the plan and purpose of God for my life. I'm going to say it again. If, if, I say it again, if Christ is with us, then no demon-inspired storm will ever destroy or thwart the plan and purpose of God for my life as I continue to remain in Christ. He will continue to keep me in all my ways and bring me through to the journey's end all in one piece. Mm. You ever read that verse in Psalm 1? It says, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Remember that? Isn't that a great verse? Wow! That word prosper, people think, means, means cash. But if you look up the word prosper, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is this. It means to be brought to a good conclusion. And whatsoever he doeth, in the Greek Septuagint, not that you care about this, but it is important. In the Greek Septuagint, that phrase is in the middle voice, which means it should be read this way. And whatsoever he does, whether it falls apart, whether it is successful in men's eyes, and whatsoever he doeth, he himself will be brought to a good conclusion. That's what it means. So it doesn't matter whether what you're doing for God is successful in man's eyes or not. What matters is that you're in the will of God. And if you're in the will of God, whatsoever you do, if it falls apart or it goes good, it doesn't really matter because you yourself will be brought to the journey's end all in one piece to a good conclusion. Now that's prosperity. You know what my mom and dad were concerned about? That five boys, Larry, Gary, Terry, Harry, Jerry, were all saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. And four of the five are preachers. 
of the gospel. My dad, you had old cars he drove. My brother Larry would always give him his old cars. And dad would drive them till the wheels fell off. But my dad is richer and more prosperous than any man that I know. Because his kids are in the ark. And they're saved by the blood of the lamb. He's the Christ of every crisis. Oh, hallelujah. That's, 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 that's conclusion number one. Conclusion number two. What I learned out of this storm is that Jesus will correct attitudes. He will correct thinking. He will correct your stinking attitude. Am I allowed to say that? He will correct your attitude in your crisis. He will use your crisis to correct your attitude. How many know what their attitude was? Don't you care? What? What a thing to say. We said that last night about Martha. Martha, Martha. What a thing to say. But she said it. And these guys are saying it. Don't you care? What an attitude. You know where it came from? It didn't come from faith. It came from fear. Jesus said, why are you so fearful? That's where that attitude came from. You see, when you don't have faith, but you have fear, you make false accusations. When fear runs you, instead of faith controlling you, then you begin to accuse even Jesus of not caring about you. And you know what that means? Don't you care? What did that mean? You know what that meant? That meant do something. Right? Do something. (laughs) Please do something. Don't you care that we perish? Do something. (laughs) Now, Jesus is asleep on the boat. Do you realize if they would have not bugged him, Jesus would have stayed asleep the whole time? Do you realize that? If they would have never said what they said, in other words, if faith would have taken hold instead of fear, they would not have needed an external act in that storm. But because fear ran them instead of faith, then they needed something external. We got to see something. We got to see something. We got to see something. You know, some Christians, they always got to see something. You always got to see something. You always got to see something. Oh, do something. Oh, do something. Oh, please do something. Please do. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But you know, he'll do something. He does do it. But he does it in spite of them. Because why? Here's why. Jesus really wanted to calm their hearts. But when he couldn't calm their heart, he had to calm the sea. If he could have calmed their heart, they would have all gone through that storm shouting glory all the way through it. You realize that? And no storm would have taken hold on them because Christ in the boat means peace, peace, peace. And you're going to make it all the way through. But when he couldn't calm their heart, he had to do something to calm the storm. What he really wants to do is calm your hearts. Because storms will come tomorrow. Storms will come the next day. And storms will come the next day. You get rid of one storm. And how many know next week you're going to have another one? You know what you need? Friends, your circumstances are always going to be all messed up out there once in a while. Oh, people say, oh, God, get me out of this. Oh, God, get me out of this. And God says, if you had something on the inside to combat that which was on the outside, it would be a different thing totally. What was the difference between Jesus and the disciples? We said it. He had something on the inside. Now, now picture this with me. Are you okay? Okay, hang on. I'm almost done. Well, kind of. Think about this. Here's Jesus. He's laying down sleeping. He requires no action. He's sleeping. He requires no action. There's something in him that requires nothing to be done on the outside. 
And here are the disciples in the same boat, in the same circumstances, in the same waves, in the same water, in the same wind, requiring action. Please hear me. Jesus wants you to get to the place where your faith in him is so strong that it is not an external act that will take you through, but it's the peace that passes understanding that will take you through. Oh, that storm will still be there. How many know your temptations will come? You ever been tempted by the devil? Don't raise your hand. If you're saved, you've been tempted by the devil. How many know some people succumb to temptation? How many know some people yield to it, but some people don't? You ever wonder what's the difference between the guy that does and the guy that doesn't? Well, he's more blessed of God. No, 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 no. Think about what Paul said in Ephesians 3. He said, my prayer for you is that you be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. He doesn't pray that their circumstances go away. He prays that they will be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. What he's really saying is, we are praying that your inner man's constitution, your resistance in the inner man will be built up. If you're going to build your body up, what do you do? You don't eat Twinkies all day. Well, I have. I mean, by my saying. You, you eat the right foods, right? You build up the resistance of your, man, of your outer man, your, your physical frame. Let's take two guys. One's been eating, right? Exercising, not eating Twinkies. One guy, he's not exercising. He's a couch potato, and he's eating Twinkies and Kingdoms all day. No, which kind of reminds me of myself. <laughs> anyway, let's say that the flu virus walks in the door, and the flu virus hits both people. One man gets the flu. The other one doesn't. What's the difference? Well, one man's constitution was built up. His resistance was built up. The other guy, he don't do nothing. So no, guess what? His constitution, his resistance wasn't the way it ought to be. So he gets the flu. It's the same thing in your spiritual man. If you feed your spirit and starve your flesh, guess what will happen? Oh, the same temptation will come in the door. And one man will yield and the other man will not. It's not the temptation that determines your conduct. It is the strength or weakness of your inner man. There it is right there. I tell you what determines your conduct. It's the strength or weakness of your inner man. Don't blame the temptation. Stop blaming the storm. Remember this. He wants your faith to be such that you don't require an external act, but you have something on the inside that is greater than that which is on the outside. And no matter what comes to you on the outside, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's exactly what you need to hear today. Well, I got one more. I, I learned this. Now, this is something, but apparently God wants me to tell this church because I've told it last night and I, got, I said it last year. But I noticed this. After the flood of Noah's day, after the flood, storm, yeah, flood, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, I think it's verse 22, it says, while the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest, summer, winter, cold, it will not cease. God is doing something after the flood that wasn't before. What's that? He's setting the seasons in order. And you know what God will do in your crisis? You can draw this conclusion. After this storm of your life, God will use this storm to set things in order in your life. After the flood, things were put in order. After the storm, things are going to be in order. You know why the storm sometimes comes that God allows? He allows it. He may not cause it, but he allows it because he wants to use it. 
in your life to bring order back into your life. Because your life, let's just be quite honest, sir, your life is out of order. Your priorities are not in line. I'm just telling you the truth. I said it last night, and apparently somebody needs to hear it again. Our order of our life is not what it ought to be. And the storm God will use. Now, the devil wants to seek and kill and destroy. But God wants to use the same instrument, the same apparatus, the same incident to bring good out of your life. What did Joseph say? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Hallelujah. It all depends on how you look at it. So don't try to get rid of the storm. See God in it. And see that God is using it in your life to bring you to a place of faith and not fear. So what are you saying? Well, I'm saying this. God had to teach me that lesson years ago. You see, some some of us, our order is wrong. We're too concerned with our material stuff. And we're not concerned enough with the spiritual stuff. That's just the truth. And that's what God wants to set in order. You know the verse, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We concentrate on all these things shall be added unto you. Wow, glory to Jesus. He says, seek ye first. Keep things in their right order, and all of a sudden you will find out that your car doesn't matter to you anymore. You'll find out that the things of this life have taken a second place. Remember when Jesus was at the well talking to a woman? Disciples went to town to buy hamburgers and fries. Remember that? They come back and they say, here's your hamburgers and fries. Jesus says, I have meat to eat that you don't know anything about. They're like, what? Is somebody giving him something to eat? He says, no, no, no. My meat, that which feeds me, that which sustains me, is doing the will of him that sent me. And if this church will keep doing the will of him that sent him, then the material will get lost in the spiritual and the spiritual will take precedence and God will set things in order and you'll walk out of here knowing that he is faithful who promised and he'll take you the rest of the way through. I want to tell the pastor that today. I want to tell the pastor that today. My friend, but the pastor. I, I, I was starting a brand new church back in 1987. And I, my wife and I moved in this little mobile home. It was a brand new mobile home. But it was great. We just started the church. And we bought a, a table and chairs. How many ever bought something from the furniture store and get all excited about picking it up? I was like, man, I'm going to pick this thing. Come on, give a table and chairs. Wow. They said, you can pick it up on Friday after 1. I said, great. So I called them just in case, you know, just to be sure. I said, Hi. My name's Jerry. I understand my table and chairs are in. I'm, I'm going to pick them up. They said after 1 o'clock. And they said, oh, Mr. Hunt, we're so sorry. What do you mean? They said, we're closed. I said, closed? What are you talking about closed? You can't pick it up today. There's nobody there. Now, how many know the spirit of Jesus in me? I was like, okay, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. But then when I hung up the phone, it was like, what? Don't you care? <laughs> Do you know I bought a brand new table and chairs? Now, I know this is a small little incident, but it, it brings out a good truth. My table and chairs was precious to me. I wanted that nice dining room table and chairs. Whenever you get something good, you want to get it now. You don't want to wait. I want to get it now. So I was ticked off. So I said to Karen, my kids were small. I said, okay, let's go get something to eat. That's, that's the answer. Let's have fellowship. Part of the church's problem, I guess. I don't know. Instead of praying, man, fellow, let's have fellows. Let's go get something to eat. So I went and got something to eat. 
Now, I lived in a town that was a resort town on Lake Erie. So it was a summertime, places jam-packed. A resort town on Lake Erie, walleye fishing, abundant. Brother Dan. So we went down the road and said, where do you want to eat? She says, how about there? And I said, I don't want to eat there. God's man of faith and power. Christ-likeness coming through. I said, I want to eat here. So we walked in the restaurant. It was called Frisch's Big Boy Restaurant. Walked in. Place was jammed. We're sitting there waiting for a place to sit, and the lady calls us to our table. But when I walked in the door, I looked in the back, and in the back in the kitchen was a young man that I knew. And I was grumpy. But when I walked in the door, he was like, and he's pointing to this guy going, there he is. There who is? Meaning me. He comes out. He says, hey, Pastor Jerry, it's good to see you. I said, man, uh, good to see you too, Joe. You know how you put on the face. He says, you know, I've been witnessing to this friend of mine in the back here in the, in the kitchen. His name is John. He said, I don't know what to say to him. He says, do you think you could talk to him about Jesus? I'm like, oh, Jesus. Oh. Inside, I'm going, no. I got a table and chairs waiting for me. I said, sure, you know, hey, you know, sure, bring him around sometime, we'll talk. Okay, great. Not thinking that he meant now. So we go to our table, sit down, and the place is packed. They're, they're sitting in that waiting area, you know. So he comes down the, down the aisle with John, Joe and John. Not small guys, kind of on the larger side, buddies of mine. And he says, this is John. I said, so, John, the place is full. I said, hey, John, how you doing? He says, good. I'm like, oh, I was hoping for a little more enthusiasm, you know. I was hoping for like, I need to get saved. That's what I was hoping for. All he, all he, all he did was, hello. I'm like, oh. I said, so, I said, you would like to know how to give your heart to Christ, would you? He goes, yes, sir. Okay, this isn't going well. All right, let's, let's go out of here. Let's go into the waiting room over there. So I went to the waiting room, and we sat down on all those people. I pulled out my New Testament, and I started to share with him on the book of Romans and how to give his heart to Jesus Christ. All these people are sitting in there, waiting to be seated. And I said, John, does it bother you that all these people, hello, hi, that all these people are watching us and hearing me tell you about how to give your life to Jesus? I said that. And all the people are looking at us. He goes, no, sir, it doesn't. And I began to share with him, and tears came down his face. And I said, would you like to give your heart to Jesus right now? He said, yes, sir, I would. And I took his hands in mine, and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ that day. Glory to God. Oh, I was so happy. He became one of the leaders in our church later on. But a couple days later, I saw Joe, you know, the guy that was in the back in the kitchen. And he was going, there he is, that guy. Remember that guy? I saw him a couple days. He says, Pastor Jerry, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, I was in the back talking to John about the Lord. And he says, I came to an impasse. I didn't know what to say. He says, and I said to John, I said, John, if only that preacher Jerry would come in. And he said, and you walked in right then. He says, as soon as you walked in, that's when I said, look, there he is. That's why he said what he said. Oh, hallelujah. All of a sudden, God set my life in order. I said, God set my life in order. I want to tell you again, God set my life in order. He put into proper perspective the table and the chairs. And all of a sudden, I felt about that high, but I felt about that high because I knew that God was trying to tell me, Jerry, it's not your little crisis. It's not your little table and chairs that matter. What matters is that your life is in order and you see that the spiritual is more important than the material. Oh, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, 
got to tell you, I was telling that story to the church. That church at that time, about two or three years later. And a lady in the back of the church raised her hand. And she says, Pastor Jerry, that's not the end of the story. I said, Alicia, what do you mean? She says, well, I was there that day that you took him to that waiting room and led him to Christ. You see, I was the manager of the buffet table. And she says, I watched what you did. And it spoke to my heart. And I'm in this church today, and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And the Lord filled her with the Holy Ghost as a result of that day. I was unaware of that. Do you know God will use a crisis in your life to reach other people? God used Jonah's crisis to reach Jonah, but to reach the sailors and to reach Nineveh, he uses it to reach other people's lives. The lady in the back of the church, after Alicia sat down, she says, Pastor Jerry, that's not the end of the story. I said, you kidding me, Tammy. What's the end of the story? She says, I'm here in this church saved by the blood of Jesus because Alicia led me to Christ. And she says, I was there too. She worked there too. In fact, directly from that incident and indirectly because of others, 14 people came out of that restaurant and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord. All because, all because, don't you care about my table and chair? And God wants to use the crisis in your life to put you in order. Because, sir, you're flat right out of order. I'm talking to Christians, but I'm talking to someone who's not saved, too. If you're not saved, <laughs> your life is out of order. But God can bring order out of chaos. God can bring life out of death. God can bring hope out of despair. God can make it so that you see your crisis in a whole different light. And now you can say, you can say, he is the Christ of every crisis. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm here to tell you today. I'm here to tell you today. I'm here to tell you today. Get your life in order. And the only way you can do that is to surrender it to the Lord Jesus Christ. The result of Joseph's mess and stress and storm was that the empire was saved and his family was saved from famine. Your boy might be saved from destruction. Your daughter might come home and be out of bondage. Face it, sir, your life is out of order. It doesn't matter how you got into this mess. Jesus can use it to bring divine order to your life. And I don't care whether you like me or not. I don't care whether you hear me or not. It's not my job to be liked, but it's my job to tell you the truth about what's going on. I close with this. A man named Edwin bought a car, a 1980 Chrysler E-Class car. Back in the day when Chrysler E-Class was a car that was brand new off the lot, and it was a car that talked to you. It'd speak to you. Edwin loved this car. He'd open the door, and it would say, your car door is open. He'd go, oh, shut the door. It would say, your headlights are on. He'd turn them off and on and off just to hear the computer voice go, your headlights are on. Your headlights are off. Your headlights are on. This is a true story. He actually named the woman, the, the computer voice, the little woman. He loved listening to her. This is for the kids. He loved listening to her. And one day he was driving down the road, and his gas gauge got low. And the little woman came on and said, your fuel level is low. She said, thank you. He actually said, thank you. And he kept driving, went past the gas station, and all of a sudden the voice came on, your fuel level is low. 
Thank you. He acknowledged. Kept going. And finally, the little voice came on and said, your fuel level is low. Your fuel level is low. Your fuel level is low. Boy, he got ticked off. He said, the voice sounded harsher all the time. <laughs> How do I know it's a stinking computer? It doesn't have a personality. But it was sounding mean. You know why it was sounding mean? Not because of the computer, but because of his heart. Sometimes when the pastor preaches, you might get mad. You might say, man, he's mean. Oh, he ain't mean. He's telling you what you need to hear. You see, it's your heart that's got the problem. So you know what old Edwin did? Did the only thing a decent man would do. Pulled over on the side of the road. Got underneath the dashboard, found the fuse box, and yanked the wire to the little woman. He said, so much for the little woman. And he went down the road, and all of a sudden, kaput, put, put, and he ran out of gas. He said, I was sitting on the side of the road. He says, I knew it. He said, I said to myself, I, he says, I, I pulled off the side of the road, and the car ran out of gas. He said, I was sure that there was a little woman in that dashboard laughing at me. The moral of the story is, you may not like what I say. You can even yank out the cord of the voice and turn me off. But truth be known, I am telling you exactly what you need to hear. And the truth is, you're out of order. But if you will come to Christ, he'll use the crisis to bring tremendous peace. And then you will know that the material doesn't amount to a hill of beans. But the spiritual and the peace on the inside will take you through any storm. And then it will not matter what the government does. It will only matter what God has done on the inside of your life. Glory. Thank you. Praise God. Come on, stand to our feet all over this place right now. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.